listener exclusive. The creators of this podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which it is recorded. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the first storytellers of this land. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, as well as any Indigenous people who may be listening today. Hello and welcome to Two Guys, One Cup Summer Edition. I'm Charlie Clawson and this is my club. This show where I chat to some well-known Aussie supporters about the clubs they love. And this is normally the bit where I say, and sometimes hate. But in the instance of this club, there's no way you could hate anything they've done in the last 12 months. I'm sitting with Dave Thornton, of course, a Geelong Cats supporter. Mate, are you tired of winning? Does it suck? <laughs> Mate, it was very gracious of you to say, oh, you can't hate the Cats. But I'm like, no, I beg to differ. I've got a lot of friends now that are very sick of seeing us oh, on yeah. the podium. <laughs> very sick of it. I mean, it is just amazing. Like I was thinking about this, our own show, Two Guys, One Cup, and Will and I, I think we've been doing it since 2016. And I, the amount of times we wrote the cats off when we do our season preview, it's like, oh, they ca- surely, like, surely this is the year the cats fall off the perch. They can't possibly make finals. They can't possibly make a grand final. And you did it. Like, played finals all but one year in the last decade. And then finally, not only did you just win the grand final, but in emphatic fashion. Like, it was just, it was terrifying what you did. Mate, we've spoke about this before. It's the hope that kills you, isn't it? Every year people say to me, your list is too old, it's not working out, they missed their window. And I don't know if it was because I grew up in the 80s and 90s being a cat supporter where you're like, yeah, you're probably right. And I just bury all that hope deep down. And then last year was very strange. Like it was, I mean, they did say with their list that, uh, you know, a lot of those older guys, we did put them, well, not on the injury, but we didn't play them as much. We made sure that in the back end of the season they did all right because... You know, Selwood and Danger and all those guys did tend to just fall apart physically during the finals. And so we went, all right, maybe we'll rest them and we'll get them ready for the right end of the season and it worked. Yeah, I mean, well, maybe we'll rest them. Like round three, that's when they started saying that. Like talk about <laughs> like genius forward planning. Like what uh, Chris Scott managed to do in terms of like, yeah, okay, we'll, um, we'll ease them into a game. We'll, we'll play a couple of games early out of preseason just so you know, their bodies are moving. But then we'll rest them for five games and then we'll bring them back up and then we'll rest them again. And everyone is watching this going, what the hell are they doing down there? Like I think from an outsider's point of view is like, oh, they're stuffed. Like they've got too many old blokes and they're just like constantly having to swap them in and out and rest players. But then with the benefit of hindsight, you're like, no, that was just brilliant player management. Yeah, Charlie, I mean, we we were about the same age. Uh, you remember? Yeah. In- I mean, thank you for that. I, I think I've probably got about like seven or eight years on you, but thank you. Yeah, but you've held well, mate. I, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you remember when we used to get recruits, like I remember getting John Barnes and... Mm. He from Essendon and he was like, yeah, I'll play for you, but I'm not living down there. Like he would just, (laughs) he'd go to training those couple of nights and drive back up the freeway and live in Melbourne. But now I think (laughs) we get older players and we go, we'll rest you for a couple of rounds. We're really close to Torquay. So I don't know if you just want to hang out there for a couple of weeks. And then I think these guys like, yeah, it sounds great. 
and then they come that's, down and play a couple of games. That is clearly part of it, though, isn't it? The way that the cat... I mean, it's not just the cats, but, like, the Victorian government has been able to sell life on the Great Ocean Road. Because as a kid growing up, you know, I'd go down to, like, Anglesey, or, you know, you go all the way to Lawn and then you work all those towns on the way back and Anglesey and Janjak and yeah. Bells Beach, Torquay, Ocean Grove. But they were always, like, little tiny little towns, but now it's sort of bougie kind of, it's kind of cool to live on the Great Ocean Road, isn't it? Mate, it does make you wonder, for your saints, how are you not selling the Mornington Peninsula? How are you not claiming that? That's what they're doing. Like, that's literally their tactic at the start of this year is they, well, they tried to do it by moving us all to Seaford (laughs) like 10 years ago, but they didn't really plan that properly. I mean, when they first moved to Seaford, I was like, oh, this is a smart idea because, you know, we get a lot of supporters for the Saints in the Bayside areas, all the way down to Frankston, but they didn't own the peninsula. They went to the the worst part of the peninsula <laughs> and set up camp in this industrial <laughs> estate where there was no shops, there was no, like, foot traffic, nothing. It was just this kind of, like, essentially putting a footy oval at the back of a, of a factory. Um, but now they have... Now that they're back at Moorabbin, what they're trying to say is like, yeah, that's right. We own the corridor from Brighton all the way down to to Portsea. Um, I don't know that that will uh, that will pay off unless we start winning games because I think, yeah, sure, you can sell real estate, but you also need to say we also have a fantastic football program, and that if you come to us, you know, you'll you'll always play finals and potentially snag a cup. Well, mate, isn't that what a funny sell? Like, guys, we'll be training down at a coastal spot that starts with S yeah. and everyone's going Sorrento yeah. and they're like very close oh, very close yeah. Seaford just as good tell me have you guys ever dined at Subway <laughs> we can get you a, we can get you a loyalty card every 10th sub is free have you ever gone through a drive through coffee pickup? there's plenty of these around here don't you worry about that who likes a McCafe I actually this is something you uh I'm sure you will like this story Mm -hmm. because for the grand final, look, I'm not bragging, but yes, it was a blowout. And I watched it again the next day. I was there, Charlie. I watched it again the next day. I was like, were we good or were they bad? And then I watched it and went, oh, both. Okay. Yeah. And but the highlight for my day was almost Saints number one son, Nick Rewalt, and myself were almost kicked out of the stadium for being a terrorist threat to the prime minister. What? What happened? So we're watching the game, and I was watching with. Uh, well, I could also sort of see, like in in the in the world of like diehard terrorists, like Nick Revolt does look like you know he could be one of those Euro trash <laughs> terrorists, uh, you know, like the blonde guy who chases Bruce Willis around Nakatomi Plaza. But uh, uh, we in the we context have just of lost Grand Final Day, where is the con? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so so initially. Uh, I get there and I've got tickets with Titus O'Reilly, Jill Schiller and Limo. So there's the four of us and we're down on the wing, second level. Things are going well until <laughs> we do our, kick our first two or three goals. And then the three of them are like, I want none of this. And because Titus O'Reilly, and if you've ever gone on the footy with him, it's like walking around with royalty, especially on grand final, because he does all the corporate gigs and then gets to swan in while all the top brass pat him on the back and go, great gags, that's great. And Gil's letting him into wherever. And so he says, this isn't a great game for a Melbourne supporter. The other two are Hawthorne supporters. They're like, yeah, I'm done with this. Let's go into one of the president's lunch areas. And I said, yeah, okay, fine. It's free boost. Let's go. 
So I get in there, but of course I feel like an outsider and I'm the only person that's into the game, it feels like in that room. Because if you weren't going for Geelong, you didn't care. And people who went for Sydney were just drowning their sorrows. And so I'm trying to watch it, but then I walk out in uh, to the actual seats and I don't know, like there is no seat for me. So I'm desperately trying to find a spot to not get in anyone's way, but watch the game. And I'm strangely standing in the walkway next to Nick Rewalt. This is by the fourth quarter, I believe. Like it was, it was a fait accompli by then. And we're both standing there and this security swans up to Nick and myself and goes, guys, you got to move. And because I just always give in to authority, I was like, yeah, fair enough, mate. (laughs) Do you need me to walk, work behind the bar? What do you need from me? Immediately (laughs) dropped to your knees and put your hands behind your head, (laughs) went for him to cuff you. I knew this had happened. I knew it was coming. (laughs) And Nick Rewalt, this is why he was captain of your side for so long. Because he goes, I'm not moving. Holy (laughs) shit. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Cap, we're not moving. (laughs) Standing behind him. And this security guy goes, no, you got to move. And Nick goes, why do I have to move? I don't understand. Why do I have to move? And it's a fair point. It was very strange that this guy wanted us to move on. Yeah. And this guy goes, you just have to move. And we were standing there weird, nothing's happening. And then it dawned on me, oh, because Elbow was sitting in the crowd and he was uh, just a couple of seats down. And this guy thought right. we were just two randoms, this poor security guy. And and so I'm standing there, I'm looking at Nick like, what do we do? And he said it to me, he goes, mate, we are not moving. And I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, fair that. enough. <laughs> he immediately, like, he draws you in. He, you're right, he is the captain. He, like, he immediately got loyalty from you by saying, we are not moving. We're in this together, guy I've never met. <laughs> I know, absolutely. And I'm like, that's I great. guess that's the case. And then as we said afterwards, yeah, when you look like him and you've got a name like Nick Rebolt, look, the Germans haven't had the greatest track record, so... He's like, okay, mate, get out of here. So, but then funnily enough, some other securities turn up and then fanboyed all over Rue. So then they were like, oh, mate, mate, no, no, this guy's, he's fine. And I was like, absolutely, he's fine because he's been on that field before on this day. Yeah. Like, (laughs) if anything, move elbow. I mean, I I guess it'd be the, like, hopefully one day, like at Melbourne Comedy Festival, maybe like you'll be backstage (laughs) at Melbourne Comedy Festival and Nick Revold will be there for some reason. It'll be some foreign dignitary there and security will come up and you'll get to repay the favour and say, hey, Rui, we're not moving. This is my town. I own the comedy (laughs) festival. You're on my turf now, big boy. (laughs) And then you immediately get tased (laughs) and turfed outside. (laughs) Yeah, we've been waiting too long for this as they drag my sorry corpse off. But you've had two grand finals now in your lifetime, Uh, like the Port Adelaide one in 2007 and now this one where you could just sit back, relax, like have a stress-free day. Like I think that is... You're spoiled. Like getting it once is amazing, but you've had it twice now. Like you, where once the ball's bounced, like, and you're right. And from the first like five minutes, it was apparent that the game was, you know, going to go one way. So what is that? What do you then start focusing on? Like besides the drinking, what else do you focus on when, like, you know, the game's in the bag? Well, I did learn from 2007. You said, uh, as opposed to the drinking, I did the opposite where I remember 2007, I was so nervous that I drank myself into oblivion by the third quarter because I was watching it at a pub with a mate. I couldn't get a ticket. And so this time around, I was like, let's just keep a lid on it. Try to enjoy this right now because uh, that was a bit of a blur, that grand final. But um, yeah, it's very odd because if you think about the lead up to that, 
in the finals, we played Collingwood. I was there. That was a very close game. That was a nail-biter, and I can't believe we pulled it out. We had a week off, and Geelong was notorious for having weeks off, be it buyers, finals, and then coming back and being terrible. Mm. So then we played Brisbane, but we hammered Brisbane. And then so it was this strange thing of, and then I watched the Collingwood uh, Sydney game, and that was a nail-biter, and people were asking me, who do you want to face? And I said, well, I hope Sydney, because Collingwood played us really well, plus playing them at the MCG, I know that the crowd will just drown us out. But if it's Sydney, they don't tend to have a fan base that's like that. And because of their side being so young, I said, I hope they crap their pants on the big day. And that's exactly what happened. So it's this strange thing where I'm watching the game. And as I told you, in the place that I was at, there was a lot of people who were like, oh yeah, this is a boring game. And I'm like, I kind of was trying to shoo people away to go, well, yeah, fine for you. Yeah. And there was a lot of brand new Sydney scarves made in this area of people had come down from Sydney like, this seems like a bit of fun. And so I was kind of a bit like, does anyone care around here? And then I will concede by the third quarter and we got the quick early goals, it was like, oh, this isn't much of a game. I kind of wish it was. But then by the fourth, it was a party. I hate to say it. By deconing kicking goals and Stingle and then... Joel Selwood. Yeah, it was all on by then. And that was just a really long walk to a win like it was <laughs> everything was well we're up and about and then I got to savor that last quarter but it, I, I'll concede it wasn't a game for anyone else who didn't go for Geelong so do you, but do you think that uh, uh, like a grand fun like that because you've got a few to choose from now if you have to go back and watch a replay are you less inclined to watch the smashing because it's sort of not as good a contest say like I don't know a 2011 or, or something like that or is it fun to go back it's like watching the Harlem Globetrotters, you know, like, this is amazing. Like everything we do turns to gold. I mean, because I, I can sort of see, I can see sort of uh, 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 pros to, to both. Like on one hand, oh, this is an excellent game and what a heroic victory. And, you know, you know, 2011, you were the underdogs, you know, Chris Scott's first year as coach and you came in and take it. But then on the other hand, we are just a force. You know, what do you enjoy watching more? That's a really interesting question, mate, because 07 was unbelievable. Like, I never thought I would see it in my life. And they played such incredible footy. But we're not talking about 2009. I've deliberately omitted 2009. I did notice that. <laughs> but it's things like I was there for 11 and watching Tom Hawkins, because in 11 he got four goals. But if you watch it, and I hate to say this about the Hawk because I think he's awesome, but it wasn't these, you know, he got a couple of toe pokes and things like that. It kind of didn't turn the game around. He did have a good game. But then you see the one against mm. Sydney. Well, I was like, oh, this guy has just got it all together. And it's unbelievable at his age that he's just aged so well. Like he was, he got a first couple of goals. He just controlled the game. And you're like, you're looking at that and it's like a proud parent. Like you'd have the same with players where you're like, I always knew you had it in you, buddy. <laughs> Although I feel like with the Saints list of the last 10 years, I feel like I'm the stepdad. So I've like married someone and they've brought their kids in and I'm like, ah. Uh. I kind of love him, I guess. <laughs> like if I have to, like I'll I'll pick him up and take him to school and stuff like that. But I don't really love him. They're not like a lot of them came from another family, so <laughs> I don't feel that I don't feel that close to him. Can I have your last name, Charlie? Uh, but no, just be proud of where you're at now, mate. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing you're doing good. Well, it's interesting. I'm not sure if you saw um, uh, the news when we were recording this. Um, uh, there was a leak. 
uh, from one of the Saints uh, practice matches where um, they have vision. They shoot vision, obviously, of the, the game for coaching purposes. And then they upload it to a central server, which is accessible to all the teams in the competition. And St Kilda accidentally uploaded the audio from the coach's box, not just the vision, which meant that, like, for about four or five hours, everyone had access to whatever the coaches were saying. And so... The Saints released this press statement and they got out in the front foot saying, oh, look, um, you know, uh, some audio got leaked and, and we've already spoken to the players and, and we've just made sure that, you know, and it's like, oh, what the hell were you guys saying about our own list that you've had to kind of release like a preemptive, because nothing's come out yet. And by the time this episode goes out, maybe it will have been released. But it's just like, oh, yeah. I reckon some there was some strong feedback <laughs> being given to players. Oh. <laughs> You know, I've heard Luke Darcy talk about this where when he was injured towards the back end of his career and they had Rocket as a coach then who was notorious for just tearing blokes apart. And they said because Darcy didn't know what he wanted to do, whether he'd go in commentary or, or go into coaching. And so he sat in the coach's box for a couple of rounds. And they said once he went back on the field, it's like he couldn't play properly again because all he had was Rocket's head going around and round. And any mistake that he had, he was like, Oh, yeah, they're hating me now in the coach's box. Like it could do so much damage to a player knowing what the coaches really think about Even players that they like, like that is just the way coaches speak. Like this is the thing. Like you you could be like Patrick Dangerfield and the coach is still going to say something negative about you because that's just the way coaches are. But it is interesting. Like there was that famous incident, do you remember, I think it was about 10 years ago where the audio got leaked and it was Rocket talking about Will Minson. And it was just the <laughs> most kind of like, oh, my God, like how could you possibly play under that guy? But I do imagine there must have been a mediation session where like Rocket's like, it's like when you talk to your kids and like, look, you know, I was angry. I probably shouldn't have said that. I don't actually, I don't actually mean that. I don't actually mean you're a big unco. <laughs> like that's, that's not what I meant. <laughs> look, get the sax out now. Give us a couple of bars. I'm happy to hear it, mate. I love that you play the instruments. That's awesome, Will. It, um, I mean, it, God, I remember Adam Zwa told me this story that he did a voiceover for a company and then <laughs> it was a contract that he'd had and he did the initial track or just, you know, initial take and you've probably done voiceovers before. They've got you for an hour at least, if not two. So you go over and over things and yeah, he was in the booth, drops a line and then there was a bit of a pause and the audio from the advertiser guys just comes through in his ears going, can't believe how much we're paying this bloke. This is terrible. <laughs> he sat there frozen. Oh, no, I'm going to lose this contract. And they said they had to backpedal pretty quickly. I did have a, a similar incident once where I was writing a, a script, um, uh, a pitch document for this uh, production company that were going in to, to, to pitch this show. And they'd asked me to be the copywriter. And so I'd, I'd written this document and then I'd shared it with them. And I guess they didn't realise that I was still... Um, I, I was I, w- I was getting all their amendments and their notes, and so every couple of days I'd get like a notification, and it was all these criticisms about my writing. It was like juxtaposition. Oh, what a wanker! <laughs> all this kind of stuff. I'm like <laughs> juxtaposition is a perfectly legitimate term to use when describing like filmmaking. You know, when you're placing two things next to each other, it's a juxtaposition. And after a while, I, I was like, after about day three of me reading them, just tearing apart my document. 
I was like, hey, guys, um, <laughs> I don't know if you want to mute your, mute me on this uh, the, 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 these notes or, or whatever. And then they were like, oh, no, 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 sorry. Like, we actually love it. You've done a great job. We're just, you know, we're just having raw and honest feedback. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're actually making fun of me. I don't know yeah. what bullying is. Yeah, you're eviscerating me. Also, how's that working in the arts in Australia? You use a word like juxtaposition. They're like, oh, all right, here his fancy da. voice just turned up. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I think that's a legitimate description of when you are creating characters or tension. Yeah. But no, not here in Australia. Not in Australia. Come on, mate. <laughs> Pull your head in. It's, um, mate, I mean, that's why I have respect for football players because of the abuse that they cop. Mm. Like, people think about that. Like, they, they, they'll say, oh, you know, that's just part of the game. It's what you got to do. But you're like, oh, is it? mate, <laughs> like that, that is a lot. Because I know that I, even, I get smashed on social media. You know, people that will just rip you for whatever you've just posted mm. and then invariably you go on their site which you think you should never do but you go on their profile and they have something like I'm an empath and you're like yeah. you're absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> you're tearing me apart do you ever get smashed for being a Cats fan like the other footy fans ever like you know after a loss or whatever go jump on your socials and like a haha or anything like that no I don't get that because I don't really gloat when I win I remembered Danny McGinley, you know, goes for the dogs. Yes. And we've watched a game before. Bannerman, Danny McGinley. Yeah, that's it. And we watched a game, I'm trying to think, maybe it was about two seasons ago. I don't know, COVID screws you up. But they were, that's right, we were playing down at uh, the Cattery and we beat them on the siren. I think Jeremy Cameron off memory, he kicked a goal. And I was at a pub and <laughs> there were some other Geelong supporters. We're hugging each other. You know that great thing where you don't know mm. these guys, but through the game you're like, no, nah, yeah. you're all right. <laughs> you got the same colours as yeah. me. You're okay. And we're hugging each yeah. other. And then I turned to Danny with a couple of his mates who go for the dogs and I said, oh, man, sorry about that. And he looked at me and went, what? Like, did you just apologise? I said, well, I feel bad. You've invited me to the pub and we just beat you then. And, and he goes, man, you are so much better than all of my mates who go for <laughs> Melbourne clubs who would just be sitting here going, you're a loser. You're a loser. And so I tend to, if we win or whatever, I just, I mean, I'll celebrate, but I'm not putting it on social media. So maybe because I don't gloat, I don't cop it. I had someone, and I don't know what provoked this, but someone just, uh, you know, sent me a message on, on Twitter and it was a list from like a St Kilda fan forum where they were compiling a list of celebrity supporters and it was like 30 odd names and I wasn't on it. And he was like, ha ha, you're not a celebrity supporter. And I'm like, no shit, mate. <laughs> I host a football podcast called Two Guys, One Cup. Like, where do you think that ranks on the uh, entertainment A-list? <laughs> That's always more cutting, isn't it? Way to, way to not have a profile good enough to get on that list, idiot. Like, that's... Yeah, that's brutal. I know, but also the idea that let's say it's something that like I'm gunning for, like oh shit, man! Like as look as long as I can get that number one ticket holder position, I've just got to bump Eric Banner, and I'll be the most famous <laughs> supporter of the Saints. Yeah, the guy who went on a Judd Apatow movie to talk yeah. about the Saints. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, also for people like us, mate, when you when you're working in comedy, it's like because we love the team we go for, but we're it's just as easy for us to shit on them when things aren't well. And I guess oh, yeah. why would you have that as your number one ticket holder when we're like, these guys are shit, we can't keep a handle on it. Like maybe if we did, we'd be, I don't know, I'd have better jobs probably. But <laughs> yeah, but that's it with being a comedian. We're too volatile, especially in this day and age, to just back out. We'll always back the clubs in, but we'll equally shit on them. They don't need that. Well, you brought up Titus before, and I remember I had him on my club a couple of years ago talking about the Demons before they won their flag. 
And he was saying that he always cops shit from Demon supporters whenever he gives the club shit. They're like, you've got to support. And he's like, well, this is supporting. I want them to be better. <laughs> like, I want higher standards. Yeah. Like, when, they're, when they lose games they should win, I want them to not. I mean, you don't have to worry about that with the Cats, though, do you? Because, I mean, apart from... What, did you... You didn't really have any embarrassing losses last year. You lost to the Saints, which is... That was your last loss, believe it or not, in round 11 or something. But after that, it was just like one of those seasons where... I mean, did you sort of feel like... When did you think we could potentially win the flag? Like, was it was it th- during the final series or, or before that? Matt, it strangely felt like 07 because 07 there was this constant keeper lid on it. And there was a keeper lid on it from about round eight or 10, if memory serves. And, and it felt a bit like that. Like you could tell in the back half, because we have had a propensity to fall away in the back half of the season and we were holding it and we'd rested older players and it was coming along okay. And there was a bit of don't say anything because everyone thought we'd fall apart again. And we were like, just don't say anything. And then against Collingwood, I was biting my nails down to the quick and thinking this isn't looking good. And then we did win and I was sitting with some Collingwood supporter mates. I thought this, I'm going to savor this. This is pretty good. But then it wasn't till, I mean, this could be me, but this wasn't till Brisbane that I went, geez, we look pretty good. And we, and again, like when, when Sydney won, I thought, geez, this looks all right. I mean, I wasn't beating my chest about it, but I thought this looks okay. Yeah. I mean, cause that's the thing, isn't it? Those prelims are such a, a tell because you beat up, like you say, the Lions. And so you carry that form to the grand final. And then you have the Swans who very, very barely got across the line against a really young Collingwood. And so I guess if you look at that form, but I don't think anyone was expecting what happened on that day. We had Sarah Ollie on uh, a couple of weeks ago, who's a big Swan supporter. And she was saying after like the first quarter, she was sitting there with her Swans mates going, should we look up what the biggest loss in grand final history is? Because <laughs> I think we may, we might be on track, which is a horrible feeling. I mean, you know, like I've been there, the, the, the replay grand final when Collingwood like beat us by 10 goals. It's a shitful feeling <laughs> to be in the stands and your team is getting pumped. Mate, I could imagine. And also, like they did okay. In the second quarter, I felt like they were slowing things down and they were mm. doing all right. But then in the third, we got three straight out of the gates and you think, oh, we're on here. And the bit that I think the most for Sydney supporters is by that last quarter, as we got our hands in the air, things are going all right. I'm like, no one's left the stadium. This is really odd. Now I thought, oh yeah, they're all from Sydney. Like they don't know what else to do. If that was a Melbourne side, everyone would have teamed out and just gone, well, well, why would I stick around for this? But they're all like, oh no, I've got my quest in the city. I was supposed to do this and then I was going down to Flinders Lane for the dinner that I booked and I'm just sticking this out. And so I felt really sorry for all of them. They just sat there, 100,000 people just, and half of them Swan supporters going, okay, I guess we'll cop it. Yeah, it's crazy. And now you think about like if that wasn't enough that the, you, you've won the flag, then you've had this amazing off-season where you bring in like, you know, these gun players like Bose from the Gold Coast and that kid from GWS, you know, and it's like, so you're going to be stronger next year. So, like, how does that work out that the premiership team gets two picks inside the top ten? I mean, it's just crazy. I don't know how we sell it. Like, I'd really love to know how we do that where we work with the salary cap and then go, look, we can't give you everything you want, but look at all this. And I'd love to be in the room when they do that sell to Jeremy Cameron, to those big recruits when they say, yeah, okay, you won't get as much money, but 
whether we get these kids who love surfing, who love being in the country, because a lot of them like Jeremy Cameron. He just wants to, wanted to go back out to the country where he's from out west. And so I'd love to be in that room. I don't know how the cell works because, again, I was so used to spent the first 20 years of my life having players go, I guess no one else has given me options, so I guess I'll go to Geelong. Yeah. It's not going to be fun. And now yeah. it's like, no, 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 this, this seems sick. I don't know yeah. what happens. It is interesting, isn't it? Because like at some point you have to keep your stars and they're not going to stay for kind of minimum wage. Like you've got to, but they're not getting as much as a Dusty Martin or, you know, some of these other superstars. Because Collingwood was the opposite, right? Like that's what they did five years ago is they offered these ridiculous seven-year contracts to Grundy and to Goey and, and whatever and then had this salary cap squeeze where they had to offload Trelaw and a bunch of other players because they just couldn't afford them anymore. But how does it start with that, like if you're talking about pay equity across the board? I mean, I guess you've got to have some established success with some older players who have taken a pay cut because then it's easier to say to the younger guys, well, look at Tom Hawkins, look at Paddy Dangerfield, look at Joel Selwood. They've all taken a pay cut so we can bring you, Jack Bowes, into the side. So will you sign a longer contract at smaller pay? I mean, I guess it's this chicken of the egg kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, and then... Like I think about like an Isaac Smith, I, I don't know his contract situation, but I guess someone like that when he's getting a bit older and you go, well, you can have a lot of fun in the back end of your career if that's what you want. You know, you can come down here and I think he also liked the country lifestyle. I'd, yeah, I'd really like to know what the sell is because you're right, if the big guys are taking hits, I guess it all trickles down. But then that's a hard sell for a kid who's 23, 24, whatever, and going like Jeremy Cameron, yeah. I was surprised. I was like, Really? You're going to do this in the prime of your career, but I guess he wanted to win. Well, I guess it's also to like, I could imagine if you were an 18-year-old draftee and you had a choice between like the Gold Coast or Geelong, I know where I'm going. But then when you're 26, 27, maybe you've met a, met a girl, you want to start a family, maybe you're looking at real estate, then it becomes a much different selling point, right? Totally. That's what always makes me wonder. And it's interesting that you say about that with real estate. Like it always makes me wonder. I don't know what deals we've got going on with the real estate agents down the coast, whether they're like, eh, want a good deal on a place down in Torquay? Definitely. I reckon they, I mean, that was always the rumor about like Fremantle when they started was that they would, they're enticing players back to WA because it's like, sure, we can only pay you this, this amount of money. Hey, but have you ever wanted a McDonald's franchise? <laughs> you know, and they would sort of oh. give them like, they would just like give them like, you know, steaks in the McDonald's somewhere but also property, also like a car dealership. So I imagine that they would have interrelated business interests in Geelong, which is like, sure, you know, we can pay you this much, but, you know, you get first dibs on some beautiful coastal real estate. You know, if you want to invest your money, there's a couple of dealerships. It's a pretty solid investment. You'll be getting a nice return on that. Like, I reckon there must be a lot of way Legal, I'm not saying there's anything untoward here, but when you own a town... <laughs> <laughs> like Geelong do, then who wouldn't want to be in business with them? I mean, what a funny, if you think how much it's changed since we were kids, like, do you think there were players in the 80s where they're like, do you want to diversify your portfolio? Is that what you want? <laughs> hey, Buddha Hocking, I know you're a garbo yeah. during the week, but have you thought about your property investments? <laughs> it was literally like, do you want a slab? <laughs> Pack of Marlboros in a slab on top of your pay each week. I mean, I think back in those, in the 80s, like they were still paying guys in cash. Like you'd go to the property steward after the game and get an envelope with your cash in it for the game. That's awesome. 
Just a brown paper bag. Yeah. It's under the passenger seat. That's how Carlton paid him for years. Oh, mate. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure as well. Just what a coincidence when everything had to go on the books, that team hasn't gone well for the last 25 <laughs> years. That's right. Turns out when you can't cheat, Carlton aren't that good. <laughs> <laughs> I love my blue supporters. So all the blue supporters <laughs> out there, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's all, it's all laughs. It's a bit of fun, guys. I'm not even one of St Kilda's biggest celebrity supporters, so don't worry about it. Well, my opinion doesn't matter at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. don't go after the small minnows. There's yeah. big fish out there. You're yeah, leave the it. D-list alone. Uh, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. We'll wrap it up here, but before we do, we like to do a bit of a prediction. Um, now, we break the ladder into three parts, into the top six, middle six, Ooh. bottom six. Your, where's your prediction for the Cats this year? <sighs> I mean, it has to be top six, right? There's no way. You're, you haven't gotten worse. You've retired Joel Selwood but mate it is funny because yeah leading up to the season I was looking at our list and I was like yeah I think I think we'll be top six now you'd be top do would you would you be so bold as to say top four (sighs) yeah come on please (laughs) yeah I know I need this this to put on the social um I uh yeah that's right we are (laughs) definitely going to win the flag in 2023 yeah Got him. <laughs> and it's your voice just over my head. Oh, wait a minute. How yeah. did that happen? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would think I'd, yeah, top four, I would say, to be honest. Grand final? Would you think you'll make the grand final? I don't know final? if I'm that confident to say we're going to make the grand final now. Okay. Oh, no, I won't, I won't push you any further. Top four, I think that is a fairly solid uh, prediction. I mean, I think that this year in terms of top end teams it's going to be probably the the tightest we've had for a while because there's honestly when you think about the cats the swans collingwood melbourne brisbane like even the bulldogs i reckon a lot of people are sleeping on there's so many teams that could easily jump up this year and then there's the other end of the ladder (laughs) where i think my team will probably be we'll be down we'll be down the bottom end of the ladder doing some stuff down there (laughs) releasing audio that we don't mean to that kind of stuff (laughs) dave thank you so much for coming uh back on two guys one cup um it'll be great to get you i'm I'm sure we can book you in for the grand final show uh at the end of the year already can we just say yes you'll uh You'll appear as the catch representative. <laughs> yeah, I was no. going to say. God, you're very good at this. Mate, I just never have in my head, I never have that, I don't know what it is. In my head, I, I'll never at the start of the season go, this is us. I'm always going in going, and no matter what happens, I'm like, oh, we'll see, we'll see. I don't know if it's the peasant. Well, that doesn't me. give me much hope that you've seen so many flags in your lifetime and you still have the scars of the 90s. Like, as far as you're concerned, it's like never forget, never forget. Don't you ever think, a lot of sports people talk about this, but they go, the joy of winning almost is not as pungent as the pain of losing. Like I've never heard that, but that's awful. <laughs> yeah. Like I've heard a lot of sports people say that, where they're like, yes, like when you finally win or do whatever, it's still like the memory of losing and doing all those things. That scar is deeper than the feeling of victory. Which well, it didn't it has, it clearly didn't affect Nick Revolt. I mean, he's he's he's, he's he clearly his mindset is still very strong. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, nothing gets away Immovable. from him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah, when you got the confidence of saying, and he didn't say these words, but I felt like him saying, "You can move the prime minister, but I'm not moving." All right, <laughs> <laughs> I know where I sit in the pecking order. <laughs> Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show, and good luck to the Cats in 2023. Cheers, Charlie. We are to go.